0: Welcome to another episode of the Heckiac yeah Comics Podcast with your hosts, David and Nick. In this episode, we catch a glimpse of black lightning, get ready for venom on the silver screen, watch Batman find out what evil lurks in the heart of men, and find out what Jean Grey is up to. Stay tuned for all this. And more. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Heck Yeah Comics Podcast. Heck yeah. I'm David Luzader, that's Nick Shermooksness. You're the studio audience, and at this point you should be seeing the applause sign uh, going off, so wherever you're at, just start applauding yep. uh, for this for this show.
1: On the bus, in the subway, in the middle of a meeting with your company, while let's, you're listening to a podcast yeah, in the let's, middle of your meeting.
0: Let's talk hey hey, let's talk about that for a minute, uh, buddy. You're you're in the middle of a meeting. That seems important. Why are you listening to a podcast? Maybe, the meeting's not so important. Maybe, oh, maybe you're trying to office space it. You're thinking like, or George Costanza-ing. You're like, I'm just gonna get fired by doing ridiculous crap, but it's not working. Or you keep getting promoted. Maybe he's in
1: the process of getting fired, and that's why he's listening to a podcast because oh, he's you've already, already getting fired. Already lost
0: your job. Why is, then? Why mm-hmm. are you in this meeting? I'm really confused. As to your uh, it's, life,
1: it's an interesting reality that this idea lives in. Yes. Uh, <laughs>
0: Before uh, before we dig in too much, I want to shout out to my buddy Will McGilvery, who I know listens to this show. Uh, and apparently, people are trying to burrow into Nick's uh, Nick's basement apartment to, I don't know, murder him. That sounds like a lot of effort. <laughs> Seriously, there is something strange going on there. Anyway, uh,
1: probably a dog.
0: Probably a dog. We can only hope. Uh, I got a text from my buddy Will McGilvery. Will, how you doing, buddy? He texts me out of nowhere he just says, Hydra Captain America is so goddamn frustrating. To which I responded, why is that? He said, all 11 issues so far of C.A. Steve Rogers ends with a tease that the next issue will finally reveal that he's Hydra. And then the issue comes and he's still in hiding. He's killed one guy, Jack Flagg. Who cares about Jack Flagg? I said, arguably Jack Flagg does. And his response was, well, he's dead, which is fair. <laughs> It's fair. You can't really care about that situation if you're dead.
1: Well, um, thank you for that. Well, actually, it's not feedback for me. I I did not write the the series. Um, I haven't been reading the series, so I can't speak from from like actually having read it. Um, but I mean, it was all leading up to Secret Empire, and, which now
0: everybody knows he's Hydra. Yeah.
1: So I I guess was he just, did he feel like it needed to happen? The reveal should have happened a lot sooner or I
0: get, I mean, I haven't read it either. It just sounds like they were teasing the whole time of like, Oh, someone's that go, Someone's going to find, find out this time. Someone's going to know he's Hydra. And then like never finding mm. out he's Hydra. Well, I think
1: that, I mean, it's, it's fine. If you find it frustrating, I'm kind of a proponent of defending this particular story, storyline. Um,
0: yeah, I've but, I, uh, yeah, I've given up like but, hating on it because I'm not reading it, so I'm like I can't talk about it.
1: The the few issues that I did read of the Steve Rogers comic were I thought were good, uh, and so far I other than like the art on the second issue was kind of murky, but because the, the, we had to include the zero issue, you know, the story <laughs> so far of Secret Empire I have found uh, compelling and entertaining, um, and I think that as far as like, I mean. Obviously, the book kind of has to work with the rest of Marvel's publishing schedule, and I don't know if it was always leading to Secret Empire when they first initially plotted out the book, but ultimately it needed to tell a certain story and put a lot of pieces into place so that Secret Empire could happen, and ultimately, you know, it could have been that, like, if – the thing is, if, like, one superhero found out, like, that would have been it. Like, obviously – Right, that everybody would – no, everyone found out, and his plans would have have materialized to the extent that they did. So obviously, they prolonged it, and then with the gut punch, the you know basically global level threat that he became as a result, yeah. that ends up being more impactful than I, just like Iron Man found out and told everyone else.
0: Right, I guess. I guess the drama of that scenario is, is that nobody knows. So it's like I get why it's tempting of like. Oh, well, maybe this time somebody finds out and it goes that goes viral on the internet or whatever kids are up to these days. So right. that's like that's what you're going to be like inclined to try to write because that is like the drama of it uh, is that nobody knows. But I get the frustration if if that's the well they keep coming back to.
1: Yeah, for seventeen issues. I mean, these issues came out like I, I think the storyline's been going on for like less than a year. So I mean, mm-hmm. seventeen issues in less than a year. If you're reading them as they come out, like it's a pretty quick clip, like it Yeah. I don't know. I it, it wasn't personally frustrating me. I was not reading it from issue to issue, but I've enjoyed what I have read overall.
0: Yeah. Well, this has been our random Captain America discussion before we even get into the news. And speaking of that, let's just go ahead and dive right in. Our top story today. <laughs> After a disappointing <laughs> summer, Humpty Dumpty has a great fall. Our first story is one that I feel like we're not going to spend a lot of time discussing, uh, but we will just kind of get the facts out there. So as many people have heard, uh, due to a family tragedy, Zack Snyder has stepped down from directing Justice League, and Joss Whedon has been hired to take his place. Uh, Just sort of the facts of the situation, very unfortunately. This is a great tragedy, and our you know, our thoughts, our prayers, all that go out to Zack Snyder and his family, uh, his daughter committed suicide back in March, and he tried to throw his life into this movie and, and, you know, bury himself in work, uh, but he has decided now that he should be spending time with his family, uh, which is the correct thing, um, and, and so, in the midst of this tragedy, it's it's very great that Joss Whedon has has stepped up. Uh, now, just to get some facts out there before I I'm probably gonna go on a little bit a little mini rant here, uh, for people who think that Joss Whedon is coming in at like the halfway point and is gonna do all this work. Uh, Joss Whedon is coming in to take over post production, so he's gonna do a couple of reshoots uh, and handle some editing but he's really just there to kind of polish up what Zack Snyder has already created. Nick, do you have anything to add before I say some things? No.
1: uh, I mean, just obviously kind of reiterating, we've already said it's it's a huge tragedy. totally understandable why he'd need to step away uh, that, but ultimately while I was definitely interested in Zack Snyder's ultimate vision for the film, I think for the most part, it will remain intact. Um, But obviously if you're going to have someone coming up the bat for you at the 11th hour, Joss Whedon's a pretty good deal, so yeah, yeah,
0: and and he had been working with Joss Whedon, uh, because he had had a rough cut of the film and had shown it to some studio execs, uh, and then got some notes, and then went and worked with, uh, worked with Joss Whedon to, to you know get some rewrites, do some punch ups, and then they were gonna you know he was gonna go back and work with that, uh, so Joss Whedon already had a hand in what was going on, mm. um. Now, the thing that I want to talk about here, uh, which is really tragic, uh, is that Zack Snyder didn't want to say anything, which is, this is his deal. He didn't have to say anything. However, he wanted to control the story uh, because according to him, he knew that if the news came out that he was stepping down as director, that narratives would begin to form that he wouldn't have any control over, Mm -hmm. uh, which... What that narrative is for a lot of people, for many people that I know, is when they read Zack Snyder steps down from Justice League, they got excited. They were like, "Oh, thank God!" Like, yeah, you know, there's a lot of hate on Zack Snyder, uh, for whatever your, your opinions on Man of Steel and uh, and Batman v Superman is, there's a lot of hate on him. So when, I know people who, when they read that headline, they got really excited. And then, you know, because the number of them are decent people, they felt like douchebags when they kind of got the full news. Uh, but still, people are trying to make this story about, oh, Zack Snyder is not directing. And one guy in this group that I'm in on Facebook posted this and was like, "Yay or nay to Joss Whedon like coming in or like taking over directing," and a lot of people's comments were, "No, that like that's not it doesn't matter like that's not the story. The story is like this tragedy has happened. Let's just allow that to like go on and like cool. Right. Joss, Joss Whedon's gonna clean it up. Good good guy Joss Whedon. Great. Uh, but then there were still some people who were like, don't like Zack Snyder. This is great news. This is not." great news, guys. This is a horrible. And I've been so angry at, at so many nerds because of this. Because so many of them have come out and been like, don't like Zack Snyder. Sorry about what happened, bro, but uh, this movie's gonna get punched up. Like, you're taking a movie way too seriously. If your immediate thought was, I don't like his movies, but... Stop it. You're taking it too seriously. And that's... yeah. It's, uh, it's just been so frustrating. And some of the comments like... People have been saying some horrible things that I don't want to repeat, but like, like jokes about why his daughter killed himself having to do with his filmmaking. And it's, oh my
1: gosh.
0: Yes. It's not okay. That is not
1: okay. okay. That is like, just literally, if you, if there's no career that like, I, I have not had many personal interactions with creative people in, insofar as like the people that are producing mainstream pop culture stuff. Right. Sex we don't Snyder we don't get
0: conference. invited to film sets. If that's if you're <laughs> confused right. like,
1: we, I don't personally so all the only relationship we have with these people is their ultimate work. And it is fine if you don't like certain movies or comics or music or whatever. It's either it maybe it was, you know, produced or directed or created or whatever you know haphazardly and terribly or maybe it just isn't for you At the end of the day the I, I just i hate when people take it and they and they they shift it from the work itself onto the person creating the work mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah yeah uh,
0: it, yeah it's like when you hear like a, a an artist like a musician is like oh they donated a bunch of money to charity people's comments are always like i don't like their music but this isn't about their music like who yeah. cares
1: or it's like when people get upset when, like, celebrities, you know, go to, like, third world countries or something, to, and they leverage their celebrity status. Like, listen, I'm sorry that you're not, like, a celebrity. I'm not a celebrity or anything. I mean, I you're guess that I am. I'm on this pretty crazy podcast called Heck Yeah Comics. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, but, like, if I was in that position where, like, suddenly I had influence, like, my celebrity status, like, you know, just because they became famous, maybe beforehand they were very ecological or like a humanitarian or whatever, but now they have the platform to be able to use it. But a lot of people crap on them be like, you're an actor. You don't know anything. Like the only thing they could possibly know is acting. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same it's, with, uh... carrying that over to Zack Snyder is basically just like, like the yeah. fact that people put so much hate on the person instead of just
0: leaving it on the work. Yeah. And regardless of your opinion of Zack Snyder, like if you l- listen to interviews with actors that he's worked with and people have worked on sets, like, the guy is a consummate professional. He, like people who've worked with him, love working with him. Uh, that's why a number of them continue wanting to do it. Uh, and 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 like, no matter your opinion on the films, like he does really care about these characters, and he's very aware of how, what people's reactions to him and his movies. And I, I do believe that you know even even if there's been some missteps in the DC cinematic universe, that he is trying to craft the best one that he can and mm-hmm. like there's so many reports on justice league of like him working uh with other people to, to you know try and make a film that's going to be pleasing to a, a, a bigger audience mm-hmm. and i don't want to like just keep going on this because you know, I know i think i've said my piece on it and we, we've said enough uh this should just be like a, a private matter um uh, but You know, guys, don't be dicks, don't be dicks, don't be dicks, nerds, you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it, nerds can be real toxic, and I, and I have had my days, I've stepped, I used to be a lot worse about this stuff than I am now, and I think I've gained some perspective, Uh, but we're just gonna move on to our next news story now, and, uh, and that is that Tom Hardy will be playing Venom in an upcoming Venom film. Uh, with Ruben Fleischer, I don't know this guy. Fleischer. Fleischer. Uh, Ruben Fleischer, whatever, to uh, possibly direct. That part, I guess, has not been uh, figured out. Anyway, this report is coming from Variety, so you know it's legit if they're reporting on this stuff. Uh, Scott Rosenberg and Jeff Pinker will write the script for Venom uh, with a bunch of producers who have produced other Sony pictures venom's um, coming to film
1: <laughs> well obviously a venom film has been in the work for a long time um and uh, i just feel like this is one of those movies that like sure they got like a big name actor like tom hardy on board and i maybe have seen a Ruben Flesher film or production oh apparently he did uh Zombieland.
0: i was trying Gang- to look up what yeah
1: gangster squad and apparently he's listed as Zombie Land 2 even though it hasn't happened yet. Um, he's worked with uh who's the guy that did the Facebook movie? He's uh, Lex er- Why can't I think of his name? Jesse Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> the name is literally in front of me and I couldn't I wasn't paying attention. Anyway, that's not important. Um I feel like it's one of those movies that was just like it's gonna like it seems like it's hitting the fast track all of a sudden. And then it kind of like the gambit movie, like Ruben, let's say Ruben is officially attached, like he's gonna then drop out and then so-and-so's gonna attach and then so-and-so's gonna drop out and Top's gonna be like, I'm still here uh, and then maybe Tom Hire will probably finish. I don't mean to like be pessimistic about it. It's just kind of how these things go It just yeah. feels like kind of this movie that like, it's not to say that Venom isn't or cannot be a cool character um, it's just that like I don't think that anyone's really clamoring for Venom solo movie especially because and this is obviously pure speculation like how much of this is truly going to tie into the Spider-Man comics now it's not impossible to do a Venom movie without Spider-Man you could do a movie that's simply a guy with an alien parasite attached to his body wrecking havoc and stuff and it doesn't have to have anything to do with Spider-Man I feel like that does a disservice to the overall mythology Um, but it's possible. And it could even potentially be, if you kind of separate any preconceived notions you had, a good film.
0: Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit more about this idea of a villain led film here in a bit. Uh, But right now we're kind of getting bare, bare news on this. So I don't really know like what to expect. I also, I like Tom Hardy, uh, but if we're doing Eddie Brock, which I think uh, is what is said that this, this is supposed to be an Eddie Brock venom. I, I guess just in my head, that it doesn't scream. He doesn't scream Eddie Brock to me. I don't know what actor would, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it. Uh, but this is definitely a little bit of like, who's popular Tom Hardy. Uh, they, I, they took our JK Simmons. We'll take their Bane.
1: <laughs> um, that's actually kind of funny. Uh, if anything, I actually agree on Tom Hardy to an extent. And the fact that he can, he cuts an imposing figure and Eddie Brock, like Venom always gets portrayed as this giant hulking beast. But in reality, like, he wasn't usually, like, it wasn't usually the symbiote sort of um, pulling the, what am I trying to say, the, the, the load as far as, like, creating that um, big physique. Mm-hmm. That was Eddie Brock. Like, he was just a big, stocky dude. Yeah. Uh, and then the Benham suit was overlaid that. So the Venom suit was always thin. Uh, it was just Eddie Brock that was big. And then along the way, they got people that weren't as big as Eddie Brock, and so they compensated. That, that was the word I was looking for. Um, yeah. yeah, they they made they like made monstrous.
0: it so like part of the suit is always that you're going to fit this certain size dimension.
1: Right. Even uh, so you, they they you can know. sort of. Infl- I mean, obviously, you have like Agent Venom with Flash, who more often than not kind of kept his sort of tactical ar- armor look, which was more mm-hmm. form fitting, but he could just sort of balloon up into big Venom. Um, but, again, the traditional Venom was just that he was basically wearing the black Spider-Man suit over his already hulking body. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And I think that's something that Tom Hardy, just in pure physique, could pull off. And, I mean, he's a good actor. I think he'll – it just depends on how they portray Eddie Brock. Like, they could just rewrite his personality to fit some to, – to take out sort of the um, – what is it with Sp- – he, he's like – he hates Peter Parker, or he hates Peter Parker and spider or he, I think he mostly, he hates Peter Parker, but he also hates Spider-Man, but specifically Peter Parker, because he felt like Peter Parker, I think, was, like, showing him up at the Daily Bugle, mm-hmm. um, and then Spider-Man, because I think Spider-Man did something that kind of screwed up his day, um, so if they lean into something like that, I think he could pull off whatever character they come up with. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, we'll get, we'll get into a little bit more discussion on this in a bit. But one thing that I just thought was interesting is like one guy threw out there, like, well, you could have it be Eddie Brock Uh, motivated by his guilt for the things that he's done it's like that would make sense if we'd had eddie brock in like another film before he's getting thrown out there on his own it's just like comic fans have these expectations of like oh let's do this storyline it's like no you got to sell this to like a a mainstream audience and yeah mainstream audiences do have a i would say a passing familiarity with venom but really they know him as evil spider-man I would say is probably the, is the most common public perception of the character.
1: Hey, that guy's evil Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and uh, we can, I think this is going to be a discussion question later on, right? Yeah. So we'll, we'll table that for now. I definitely have some additional thoughts. Uh, but in the meantime, we can discuss the trailer that dropped for black lightning. Yeah. Um, the latest DCCW project that, <laughs> as far as the first four episodes of the season are concerned, will not as far as the CW executives are concerned, tie into the greater CW arrow, yeah. flaro, super flaro, legend um, um, yep. Uh, apparently it will stand alone. Uh, but really it's just a matter of time until around like episode 12 or 14 where the flash comes speeding in. So- um, <laughs> And he might not be in this season's, you know, this next season's uh, crossover event, but you'll bet your bollocks that there'll be a, a five-episode crossover the following season. Okay,
0: interesting. All right, I think you and I have a slight disagreement on how some of these things are going to play out.
1: Um, hey, in my, you could say that what I'm being is pessimistic towards their statements, but I'm being optimistic that it's only a matter of time that right. Black Lightning. contributes to the overall universe. But David, take it away.
0: So Black Lightning, uh, Cress Williams stars as Jefferson Pierce, the hero who hung up his suit and his secret identity years ago, but with a daughter hell-bent on justice and a star student being recruited by a local gang, he'll be pulled back into the fight as the wanted vigilante and DC legend Black Lightning. So that's the premise that we're uh, apparently we're getting for the first episode i think people should check out the trailer it looks pretty cool i think uh so there's some people who are not too keen on the suit but i actually like the suit for those who are curious why it's not going to be tied in immediately to the super flare of tomorrow that is because it is being filmed in atlanta and not in vancouver where Supergirl, uh, Legends of Tomorrow, Flash, Arrow are all being filmed, so mm. getting crossovers is a little bit more logistically complicated—not impossible, just complicated.
1: They just gotta fly Jefferson Pierce out there for a, you know, a and weekend. Here's, Shoot.
0: But here's the thing, though: the premise of this show already kind of like flies in, like flies in the face of that universe now. It is kind of confusing because in the beginning of Arrow, they were very much like this is a world without superpowers, and then like, well, we're gonna have the Flash show up, but it's all science based. And Legends of Tomorrow shows up, and it's like, so the Justice Society was a thing, but people didn't really know about it. So yeah, like, yes, superpowers do did exist, yeah, but they like it seemed like it was kind of a, a very kind of like under wraps thing, where mm-hmm. it seems like in the Black Lightning universe superpowers are a thing that's like it was a, very the, public yeah, yeah. there are public individuals so i think that black lightning will definitely th- i think there will be a level of crossover but i think it's mostly going to be kept separate and he'll be in universe i don't know uh 28 or whatever uh, he could be and he could be in world three maybe jay garrick and him are buddies
1: maybe maybe that'll be interesting because it's still in cw so they have the opportunity to yeah seeding characters or maybe not even the actors, but at least pass at least not initially, but maybe passing references to characters that exist on other CW shows in different Mm -hmm. forms. Um,
0: It was originally uh, piloted for Fox as well. So, Oh,
1: was it? Yeah. Um, Oh, I think, I I think I did know that, but ultimately getting away from sort of the meta stuff surrounding it. The, I agree. The trailer does look pretty cool. Uh, I also dig the suit. Uh, it's kind of thing uh, I mean being that I give the CW shows a pass like the fact that it's cheesy is not a deal breaker there's definitely a it's definitely got that CW what's kind of nice about it is that it does feature the protagonist as a you know a, a basically a middle-aged man you know quote-unquote past his prime you know as a, as a family man on a, C, a channel the cw channel which typically gears towards young 20 something like hot let's say that the guy playing just appears on hot or anything <laughs> you know what i mean but just that it usually gears towards like 20 something you know hot bods doing the whatever though it does yeah, look yeah. like there's a hint that his daughter who does have superpowers in the comics is also going to be playing a major role as far as how she comes into focus. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, so. I, I really like, cool. yeah, I really like that. Uh, the, first of all, we're getting a, a hero of color. Uh, is really great. And I, I do like that whole family aspect too, where like you said, he's not just like a, a 20-year-old uh, who's throwing on the suit like that's behind him. Like there's going to be a, a different level of drama than we've seen in these CW shows. Where mm-hmm. yes, like family has always played a part, but we haven't gotten that from a parental perspective. Mm. Uh, so that'll be really interesting to see how they play that one out. I, how I, do you
1: juggle being a superhero and a parent?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That'll be that'll be cool to to figure out. And everything we've gotten so far has been pilot episode stuff. So I'm curious how they're going to carry over like him being. Him continue because it seems like he comes back to be a hero for a very specific reason, um, and then like how are they going to continue that out? I love that he is a school principal. Also, think that is super rad because I have had this mind, uh, this idea in mind of a character like a true blue uh, hero who works at a school uh, as a teacher. And so it's like either like either my idea is totally going to fall apart because these guys are going to do it better or uh, I have potential to actually make this stuff happen. I, yeah, I think it's super great that he is this uh, this positive influence on on kids. He is this shining star of the community. It's really awesome. I'm very excited for this show again. Another one of those ones that's coming out next year. Uh, it's going to be a midseason thing, but we're seeing it now.
1: I, I, it seems like a lot of things are like promoting now, literally a year before they come out. Yeah, um, it's ridiculous. Um, I will say, I always, I've always loved the mixed messages of superhero comics, and I, especially with this one being on point that you know he's a principal, like as a principal, like you try to minimize conflict, uh, and certainly not escalate to violent conflict. But when he's not being a principal, he goes, he's punching the shit out of people. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and that's using him as a reference. Like, I don't know, like uh, any superhero, basically, is sort of like, I'm a good guy. And like, we don't want conflict, but uh, I'm going to punch the crap out of you until you stop.
0: Yeah.
1: Love it. That being said, someone else who uh, likes to resolve conflict is getting their own comic series. Mace Windu yeah. of Star Wars. Uh, A.K.A. Samuel L. Jackson is this, is, is this um, page
0: not loading for you either?
1: What page? Oh, I didn't uh, even open it. Okay. Um, um, anyway, Mace Windu of of Star Wars of the of the episodes one through three um, is now going to be featured in his own prequel comic for Marvel Star Wars. Um, Samuel L. Jackson has nothing to do with it other than his likeness. Yes. Um, but it will be featuring Mace Windu on an adventure. Yeah, why <laughs> so, I probably should have opened up the article.
0: It's cool. I I don't know what happened. The page was not loading for me. If it loads for you, great. So I don't know if there is a writer and artist attached to this. Uh, if there will it be is. written
1: by Matt Owens and drawn by Denny's Cohen, which Denny's Cohen is a comics classic. He's not sweet. So he's not just a newbie.
0: Now this isn't exactly following like the the young days of Mace Windu. It's Mace Windu during the Clone Wars, which to me is actually really disappointing where yeah i not to say you can't tell like an interesting story in that war scenario but go back show us his training show us him as like a young young kid on whatever planet he's on and like being discovered as a force user like there's so many more interesting stories you can tell than like uh yeah he's in war and he's fighting
1: right like they could they could have tackled i agree with not repeating what you just said um I mean, there's certainly still interesting to, to talk you know, that they could do within that time period, but in a sense, it feels like the Clone Wars have been done to death. Let's see something else. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. But yeah.
0: Yeah. I actually still want to pick up more of the Poe Dameron series. I fell off on that one after a couple of issues, but just because there's so many things to read, guys. And speaking of things to read, we are going to get to our reviews just after this message.
1: like sci-fi, AI, and technology? Do you enjoy going on tangents and down random rabbit holes of a subject? Then join me and my friends each week on Brokebot Mountain as some artificially intelligent people attempt to walk through a maze that explores themes of existence and free thought in sci-fi TV, movies, and books. The conversations are unique and bring an unusual perspective to the genre and can literally go anywhere. And we do mean anywhere. You can find us at BlazingCaribouStudios.com or look for Brokebot Mountain on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts.
0: All right, let's go ahead and jump into our reviews. To
1: the Batmobile. Let's go.
0: Starting off this week, Nick, why don't you tell us about Jean Grey number 1? Yes, so actually
1: Jean Grey Number 2 came out this week, but I didn't get a chance to read that. But I did read the first issue, so I figured might as well start there. Um, It is – I have to grab it real quick. Hold on. Oh, crap. This is bad TV. We're not even on TV. We're not even on TV. People are – Sorry. I I knew the information by – What are you doing?
0: I am singing Michael Jackson. Continue.
1: Uh, And apparently I knew the answers and I was like, no, I'm going to second guess myself and have an awkward and continue to have an awkward like pause whatever. Anyway, uh, Jean Grey, number one, is written by Dennis Hopeless uh, and drawn by Victor Ibanez. Uh, For those that don't know, Dennis Hopeless uh, is recently off his Spider-Woman run, which I overall really enjoyed. Um, He's also known for, uh, he also did the most recent all new X-Men series. And I mean, he's been working at Marvel for a while on various things. Uh, And Victor Ibanez, I feel like I've probably saw him on stuff beforehand, but he I feel like he really came into his own as an artist on the handful of issues he did on Extraordinary X Men. And now here he is launching his own book with Dennis Hopeless, Gene Graham. Um for those that don't know, the Jean Grey that this book is featuring is actually the time-displaced Jean Grey. She's still a teenager shortly after becoming an X-Man from the original series, um, thrust into quote-unquote present day along with the other original X-Men and is basically, and for some reason, can't go back to their original time. So they're forced to kind of Work with the with dealing with what their future holds for them, and if possible, change it. That's been their kind of ongoing premise for a while, I guess. And I didn't read it, but I saw like an article on it that a recent uh, one, of the last all new X Men issue. It was discovered that they weren't in fact from this like the main Marvel universe. That they actually are from an alternate past that they were pulled from, because um, apparently Christ. Beast who is now dabbling in the mystic arts on top of the young beast, I should say, time-displaced beast, uh, found a way to travel backwards in time within the main universe and found that they were there just existing fine as teenagers in the past. So they're basically stuck in the present because they don't know what reality they came from. I think yeah. is what has changed. They still refer to them as time-displaced. So I feel like that's something what they, they did to kind of throw under the radar to explain away why we haven't sent them back yet um but i don't know maybe they'll figure it out eventually anyway this is actually gene Gray's first solo book and how did it measure up overall here's the thing i liked it and i didn't like it at all okay i like right is that weird that is I weird i liked but I'm i curious. liked the art uh victor does a very good job um characters are very expressive the panel layouts are really nice the um the color work by uh, J. David Ramos is also like, I think it really works for the book and Dennis hope's writing was very witty. I mean, other than obviously you can go back and read the sixties errors, young Jean gray, but I'm sure that's, it's not really like, she's not going to sound that way in a modern context. So he's writing a very spunky, uh, Jean gray, uh, very modern Jean gray. Cause I mean, if you think about it, if she was a teenager, she was probably only a teenager, like 16 years ago or something like that in comic time, really not that much time. Um, as far as like cultural, like how a, a young person might act, um, but anyway, a big focus of this book is that she she's not the Jean Grey that died. She's not the Jean Grey that became Phoenix. She's not the Jean Grey that Scott cheated on with Emma Frost. Um, she's she kind of is a blank slate and is, is is does not want to repeat the same mistakes or the same tribulations that older Jean did. Wait, um, hold on.
0: Sorry, I know this is going back a little bit here, but you said these are from a different universe. Yes. So that Iceman is okay. All right, we're getting
1: Here, so, and that's why I feel like they're they're because obviously, yes, like the, the the younger Iceman came out as gay, but adult Iceman also came out as gay. So mm-hmm. even though they, and that's why I feel like they're kind of like they kind of threw that under the rug that like yes, they are from an alternate reality. Okay, but in this case, like that particular element still sinks up. So that all, older Bobby,
0: all was Iceman. All Icemen across all existences are secretly gay. Cool. Got yes, it. Continue with your There's, there's, on there's
1: such thing is, is a straight Iceman.
0: Nope. Um, especially if you've seen Top Gun. Continue. <laughs>
1: um, so anyway, what, what was I saying? Um, so the focus of the book is that she doesn't want to become that Jean Grey. So obviously what's going to happen in this book, the Phoenix is going to show up. Um, <laughs> what? What? But what? So, but like I said, I really liked his writing. Like he had a really like the his internal monologue for Jean Grey. She's kind of narrating her experiences. Uh, was fun to read. Other people are gonna have different opinions as far as how they feel Jean Grey should sound. I personally don't have that strong of attachment, so I didn't care. Um, but it, it was fun. The issue was fun. The problem is, is that it wasted ninety percent of the issue. But actually, really, the whole issue on um a prototypical superhero fight and then like at the end was like and the phoenix coming (laughs) it just felt like wasted paid real estate because basically she's she's using a teleporting baby nightcrawler demon thing to teleport her around so she decided to go to kyoto to have ramen uh around the same time that the wrecking crew decides to show up um and stealing a van full of money so it's and obviously anytime the Wrecking Crew shows up at this point, I everyone every writer just uses them as sort of like the punch, not really a punchline, but sort of the the opening effect that they're there wrecking the street. Saberio comes in and saves the day.
0: It's like the Royal Flush Gang,
1: right? It's that they they just they show up to get punked. Like despite being super powerful, despite being that like Jean Grey's younger and inexperienced, like she's powerful and all that, and like the issue does take. Um, efforts to show that, like, while she's fighting them, like, she's like throws something, but it goes through a building and, like, she's acknowledging that the, the collateral damage and things like that. So, and those were the parts that I liked. It was just like, I don't need to read like 19 pages of her fighting the wrecking crew, which was basically what 19 is a little, maybe 15. But, um, and then basically ends with sort of, uh, she's basically talking to herself, like she's seeing the Phoenix, but one of the wrecking crew guys is like, what the hell is she, like, who is she talking to? So again, like, I think the idea of utilizing young Jean Grey to, talk, to sort of reflect on the history of adult Jean Grey and how, like, if you were aware of your legacy, what would you do to avoid it is very compelling stuff. Mm-hmm. And it seems like looking at... Um, uh, like the teaser for the next issue shows the cover shows that she's going to be teaming up with other people that have used or have, have been possessed by the Phoenix force, like Quentin choir, Rachel gray, hope summers. Um, so I think that's going to be really cool. And I felt like, well, I know that they kind of want to get people up to speed. I feel like there could have been a better way to get people to know Jean gray without just putting her through the run of the mill superhero punk fight. Um, so that kind of turned me off, but there's enough there that I might um, try to continue with the series. We'll see. I'll definitely read issue number two because I have it. Um, but um, overall, like I just, it, it just I didn't get off to a good start just being like, oh, great, Wrecking Crew. Now I'm just kind of repeating myself, so I'm going to end it here. Um, but I mean, for uh, Victor Ibanez's artwork alone, I think it's worth checking out. David, why don't you tell us about Batman and The Shadow?
0: So it's not Batman and The Shadow, it's just Batman The Shadow, apparently. There's no and. Anyway, this is a book that is being published by DC and, I believe, Dynamite Entertainment. Uh, it is being written by Scott Snyder and Steve Orlando. Uh, they're handling the story. Steve Orlando himself is handling the scripts. Uh, Riley Rosmo is the artist. And we've got colors by Ivan Plancencia. I'm so sorry. Uh, letters by Clem Robbins, et cetera, et cetera. This book, so this is issue number two. Uh, The story of this book just kind of give a brief overview is that this very upstanding citizen, who they they, in the first issue they show him walking around Arkham, handing out like food or like uh, some some gifts or something, and and it shows that everybody likes him, like even all the supervillains really like him, which I thought like was it it you got two really great writers here, so they handle it very well. But it's, like, it's kind of a funny way to be like, this guy's so great, even Mr. Freeze is a fan. <laughs> anyway, this individual, spoiler alert, gets killed. And while Batman is investigating it, he comes across this individual known as The Shadow, who he blames for this person's death, begins hunting The Shadow, and goes to Henry Ducard. Henry Ducard is one of Batman's trainers, historically. But as they're talking, it turns out it's not Henry Ducard. It is The Shadow himself. And in this issue, you see the two of them uh, sparring a bit, and the Shadow reveals that he didn't kill Cranston. He is searching for Cranston's killer, who is called the Stag, which is like the Shadow's arch nemesis, and that they are actually on the same side. And then, of course, there's a confrontation later on with the Stag, uh, with Shadow and Batman involved, but Batman's not quite convinced. One thing that's interesting about this book is that the Shadow... Hints, not hints, says right out that he is the one who has been training Batman for all these years as Henry Ducard and under like a bunch of different faces uh, that he wore different masks to train Batman and that Batman's his protege, which they don't resolve in this issue. But I think there's a few more issues to go. So I'm sure that'll come back up at some point. I'm trying to see. I think it's six issues. Yes, six issues. So you have two top tier writers working on this book which is really great because you're dealing with a property that everyone knows batman and then one that nobody really knows anymore the shadow which i know because he got mentioned in a play i did in high school so there was some natural like curiosity kind of like digging into into that he's he's very much of the green hornet era uh, there is a crappy movie with Alec Baldwin. There's been actually a number of movies made, and there were some like recent attempts to get a movie made, but nothing worked Alec out. Alec Baldwin was the Alec shadow? Alec Baldwin was the shadow. What oh lurks, What evil lurks in the heart of men, the shadow knows. It's not super great anymore, guys. Uh, but it's very classic. Anyway, what's great is that these two writers don't assume you know the shadow, uh, which is really nice because... If you're like if you're me, you have a passing knowing of the shadow. If you're most other people, you don't know who the shadow is. So Batman is our point of view character. He doesn't know anything. He's learning all this stuff as we're learning it, and that I think is a very smart way of doing it. Uh, It doesn't alienate the audience at all. But if you're like a shadow fan, like you're, (laughs) then congratulations you're 80 years old and still reading comics uh but you're gonna get very excited by some of like the small references that like i kind of get uh you know when he mentions something about like the evil that lurks in the heart of men and i'm sure there's like other stuff that like even i'm not getting Uh, but as far as like the story goes it's so far an interesting little mystery it's it's got like the kind of twists and turns of like a culty stuff. And there is like, kind of a kind of a like, wait, what's going on moment of like, you're not really sure who is who. Uh, but right now things kind of seem semi-standard as far as the mystery goes. Uh, so I'm curious what curveballs they're going to throw at mm-hmm. us as time goes on. Uh, Riley Rossmo is a great artist, uh, and the the work here is really really well done. Uh, there's uh, some really great uh, playing with layouts and and some just really nice character work. Uh, they like the shadow has just it's just this like really thin, uh, like kind of like it like th- the name is perfect for the way that the character is portrayed here. Like has this like red scarf that's like very much like Spawn's cape kind of thing. Like it's always floating off panel like it's seemingly this endless shape that that is following him uh it like it gives this really great sense of mystery to the character uh i really enjoy the representation of the stag is this there's just this very mysterious force uh that is also, like, intimidating. Uh, Batman is, of course, wearing the latest Batman suit because, you know, even though it's not really in continuity, they're still going to grab the latest Batman. Mm -hmm. So everything in this book looks really great. I say it's a really solid book overall. I'm excited to see how this continues to shape up. Um, The story is not amazing. It's not... So far nothing has been presented that's that's like really shaken up the status quo but you have two really strong writers working on it so it it boosts it up uh, in quite a bit they're they're handling things really well and I'm sure there's gonna be more to this mystery as time goes on that will make this far more entertaining if they throw in more of of sort of the uh, the the twists that that this that came in this issue in small ways then. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some really great stuff to come, and I'm probably gonna uh, keep up with Nick dropping things. That was uh, a
1: complete accident. The other ones have always been on purpose.
0: Oh, so you, you admit that you purposely make noise. Okay, cool. Cool. Now we know people. now we know. Anyway, I'll probably continue talking about this book, uh, not issue by issue, but we'll check in maybe in two more issues and then see how things wrap up. But so far, I'm really enjoying it. Excellent. Now, Nick and I do not have a book that we both read, so we're going to discuss some things. Nerd rage! It's over nine thousand. This is the absolute worst sound clip in the world. I don't know what I was thinking <laughs> when I created it, but we're sticking with it because Wait, I have not. Is, when taken you my created, time. are you
1: saying that's you?
0: No, no, no. I mashed up two clips together. <laughs>
1: nerd rage
0: yeah it's not it's not great i'm aware guys i just want you to know uh but anyway our discussion this week is we're just going to talk about can you make a villain-led film specifically a villain-led superhero film and continue doing justice to that character Uh, I would say probably two points here. You know, Venom is coming out. That's kind of the impetus for this. But people were also really clamoring for a Loki movie for a while, which I think is uh, is not going to happen at this point. Mm. But that was one thing people really wanted. To start things off here, I think villain movies are not really an easy thing to pull off because you're going to end up making the villain the hero. And that's not what people want. They, they want to see like their villains being bad guys. And yes, there are times where venom has been a hero in the past, but that's typically to like take on carnage. So unless we want to introduce carnage at the same time. And one guy too was like, I want a carnage movie. It's like, no, you don't. You want a movie where carnage is being like a, a psychopath, but that's like, that's just going to be like murder porn. We don't want to watch that as an audience.
1: Right. Even if they did like a weird carnage saw type movie. Um, but you're right in the sense that, like, the problem is, is that you can make a movie about a villain, but mm-hmm. either, A, the villain wins in the end and you don't want that, or the villain loses, What should be, the, obviously, when it comes to sort of, like, a moral balancing act of good versus evil, you want, like, the villain's supposed to be the evil, he's an antagonist, he needs to ultimately lose. Mm-hmm. Um and at least when, it, and that, you know, obviously there's been some great works of fiction, but movies, books, whatever, the featuring, you know, less than altruistic characters that have achieved or not achieved certain goals in the narratives and they're very compelling stuff. I feel like in the sense that, while well, you know, comic books and super, or specifically superhero comic books can be very um, uh, complex. There is still that sort of black and white morality to it where like when it comes to Spider-Man versus Venom, Venom should always lose he might get the upper hand sometimes it might be a prolonged engagement but at the end of it he should lose
0: yeah and Um, uh, go ahead go ahead continue Continue. well I was gonna say looking at recent examples like let's take it like look at the Deadpool film where the Deadpool film you know Deadpool is a hero people really enjoyed the Deadpool film but if you look at it like they had to make it so like Wade Wilson before the whole surgery thing was a really great upstanding guy. You know, he's part of this group of mercenary sort of people, but like he takes these like really nice cases of like where the girl is being stalked by this guy. And so goes and handles that. And then like, ultimately what is the movie about? It's him saving the girl. They, they make it, they handled everything really, really well uh, because they had the right comedic elements there. But like it, Mm. it was a fairly typical story. You know, they didn't they didn't really like they they did make him a little more morally grey where he's not saving uh you know, he's not saving a bus full of orphans, but he's still like saving somebody. He's still being like very heroic. And you know, I think that that all worked very well, but like when it comes to a Venom film, like what what are the stakes there going to be? Is it gonna be like whether or not he's gonna rob that bank? Like, I think comics you can you can have villain books where they're being villains because that's kind of like a a fantasy thing. Like for six issues. Yeah. I'll read about a villain doing villainy things. Like that's interesting. Fun to take a break. I think big blockbuster movie though. You can't really do that. Right. I mean, again, you can, but
1: it's sort of like without like in some cases really seriously reworking the character, like is, Venom, like when I try to think of Venom in the Cox, Venom definitely has his fans. And I haven't read a whole lot of his, especially his original appearances, where I would think they would want to pull influence from. Mm-hmm. I know that he became the lethal protector. Like Marvel kind of evolved him into an anti hero, but to me, he's still the villain. Yeah. Um, and I think the thing, like I, I mentioned earlier in the show, you. Depending on how they approach this, like supposedly this isn't going to take place in the in the actual Marvel Cinematic Universe, which means like Sony still has the option to use Spider other Spider Man elements in it. If not Spider Man himself, does that mean that they'll use Tom Holland? Will they cast a different Spider Man? Like this, this could be taking place in a, a universe with an adult Spider Man, um, you know? And if you, but if you put Spider Man into that world and you make him an element of the film, then again Venom's still the villain. If you yeah. rework it into a way where it's just Eddie Brock, just Venom, that there's no Spider-Man connection, it just happens to want a spider thing on, on his chest uh, <sighs> and have Spidey powers, um, there's probably a way to do it, and it could still be compelling stuff. But then it's it's sort of taking elements from the mythology and making your own thing mm-hmm. versus like doing a faithful adaptation of a character. Yeah,
0: which which uh, I think we're in agreement that, you, that that's not necessarily a bad route to take, but when you say like oh we're going to do a venom movie like people have expectations of that uh i think it's especially difficult to do where if they have no previous yeah like like you said like they have no previous entry into this franchise into these films it's like how do you then justify yeah, this character and what they're doing, like how do you have Eddie Brock decide, like maybe they do kind of do a thing where it's like, oh, I wish I was a superhero and oh, the symbiote's going to give me powers, but it's also kind of like warping my mind so I'm also kind of like a, it's it gets complicated I just, I I don't see them like doing I just don't see a way they can really do it where it's not like, and Venom saves the day, and Venom's a good guy
1: Right, and when you're reading comics too, the the whole the fact that venom the symbiote comes from space like it works in comics because you're dealing with spider-man and sort of in a, a very expansive shared universe where like he can go off on a space adventure in a crossover but then come back to his own books and they and they can kind of gloss over the fact that he's wearing an uh, alien skin um mm-hmm. but in the movie like let's say again even if they take out the, the Spider-Man from the movie is the Venom symbiote going to be the from a space rock, kind of like what they did in Spider-Man Three, or are they going to go the ultimate route where the you know someone basically designed it in a lab? They, they I mean, honestly, they could go other way and it could still be Venom. Yeah. But I think the one of the things that works for Venom as a character, and again, in his dichotomy to Spider-Man, is that when he came out, it was that the symbiote was is just as much as a character as Eddie Brock. And that the symbiote felt spurned by Spider-Man because Spider-Man rejected it. And that Eddie Brock felt um, spurned by Spider-Man from Peter Parker because Peter Parker either showed him up or Spider-Man um, interfered with something and caused him to uh, suffer a great trauma or whatever. So like, they both had a chip on their shoulder, both directed at Spider-Man. And that's what made the pairing so interesting.
0: Yeah. And also, if you... If you if we start the film, it's like oh before now Venom was a bad guy, but you're like you're just gonna tell us like he's a bad guy, but here's him like trying to atone for his wrongs. Like that's not as interesting, you know, to to be like oh, man Eddie Brock you did a lot of bad things, but you just saved that kitten out of that tree man. We're gonna Bye. be we're gonna be okay. It's like it'd be more interesting if if he had if we had seen those bad things happening. It's it's again it's kind of that whole like uh, show don't tell conundrum.
1: Right, that we I'm into. really I'm trying to visualize because again, taking Spider-Man elements of it. They could do something where like Eddie Brock, it could be like Eddie Brock's one bad day, like at the almost thinking of it, kind of like Sandman in, in Spider-Man three, how like you know he kind of was like a job went bad and he stumbles into the the research facility and falls into the sand pit at the center of doing it. So it could they could do something where whether well, I guess whether they do Space Rock or like a research facility gone awry that like. Eddie Brock is like hitting like you're, you're seeing his lowest moment and then at the same time like that inadvertently leads him to being paired with the symbiote and then sort of being like I'm this person at the lowest point in my life I'm not a particularly stable person and now I have this ultimate power like it could be a power corrupts type story what do I do with it now and again if they want to sort of start with him being the villain it could lead toward lethal protector where he kind of like realizes the errors of his way to a certain extent but he's still very rough around the edges that could still be venom even without the spider-man elements but also yeah. again why does he have a spider on his chest
0: that man that's the great question spiders are super cool, cool. I, they could do a venom
1: movie and not have the spider in his chest and just kind of like try and work around the spider power elements but like to me like even on the the, the surface aesthetic levels how can you do it without spider-man
0: yeah yeah, it's funny because I I, I kind of wanted the general discussion to be, and I think we've still hit a lot of really great points of how can you do a a, a villain film, uh, but you know we just kept like circling around Venom. And while we have kind of been talking, I was pulling up Marvel Unlimited, and I'm I'm pulling up some Mar- Venom Lethal Protector, and it's like man. That, that Venom design is so classic. I do think we are at a point where, at least visually, we can do really cool stuff with Venom. Um, yeah. I haven't seen Alien Covenant yet, but I'm going to go see it this weekend probably for another podcast I'm on. Uh, but they – from what I hear, they do some really great stuff with like the alien, like with some CGI – Mm-hmm. I think like you get those people working on Venom and things are gonna like go great. I love it too because like also I'm looking at Venom Lethal Protector Number One. It says in the corner, guest starring Spider-Man. Just like the weird stuff we don't have anymore. <laughs> also 1995 Marvel comic costs 2.95 for people curious.
1: Two, 2.95. Oh, well, only five cents more than most, or four cents less, I should say. Than most than, DC uh, books. Most comic. Well, actually, most comics are like four bucks now. Um yeah. Yeah, sort of moving away from the Venom train, doing Venom. Like, uh, Venom. (laughs) I can't escape it. So Um, let's not talk about Venom anymore
0: anyway, about Venom.
1: (laughs) For villain-centric plots, films, whatever. You know, Suicide Squad is a prime example. Here's supposed to be the baddest of the bads.
0: and this is a good example,
1: And the real world, like, I mean, okay, there's actually very real examples of just, like, in my opinion, downright evil in the world. But there's obviously a lot of, like, gray areas and why people might do things that are considered bad by society, if not just bad by human nature. Um, But obviously, that it's so complex, and it's a gray area, and people have different layers, yada, yada, yada. You know, but again, like, you're dealing with these people that should be irredeemable, and then they, again, they made them anti-heroes, that, like, Yeah, they're like crazy psychopaths, and they've all probably killed innocent people. But now you got to root for them because they're dealing with a bigger problem—the end of the world.
0: They kind of, and they kind of like coerced things a bit, where it's like, oh, you got that bomb in your neck. Uh, But they did make Deadshot. Like, Deadshot's got a kid, and he's he's just doing this for his kid. And yeah, yeah, that that's that's one where I do think like the coercion aspect is interesting. But in the end, they did it because like because we want to be heroes. Where that's I think what's one fall of the film like that didn't really feel earned for them to be the heroes for for them wanting that in the end.
1: It did again because it was them facing this threat that was to the whole world like kind of like what they say in the galaxy in Guardians of the Galaxy I think in the first one he says something along the lines like you know why do you care so much because like we live in the galaxy. Like we need to stop this because we live here and that would, you know, on a selfish perspective, that would screw us up too.
0: Yeah, I think they could have, they they could have, if they, yeah, if they'd made it a much more contained thing in Suicide Squad, that maybe would have felt a little more realistic. It should have been Or it, a better story. Have, like
1: like like what not not to do a DC Marvel comparison, but it should have been a superhero political thriller like Winter Soldier in the sense that you have a handful of villains that are being coerced into doing something that ultimately benefits society at large, but it's not dealing with a world ending crisis threat, that it's dealing with some sort of political subterfuge that to sneak into a foreign country or something and do bad stuff. Yeah. Um or, or I mean like it's not like again, not to get super like Real, but it's not like the United States hasn't done, like, pretty shady and shitty stuff behind the scenes, if not overtly. So, like, the idea that, like, we would send in a tactical response team of evil villains to to do our bidding, like, also wouldn't be out of the realm, possibly. Like, it should have been, in my opinion, a different—not that the, the end result was overall terrible, but I think that it— it used the world ending threat to shortchange the fact that these were supposed to be villains, but who isn't going to step up to the plate when something like a giant evil demon, witch is trying to destroy everything.
0: Exactly. Well, we want to hear what you have to say about villain movies and their potential. You can send your thoughts to heckiacomics at gmail.com. Before we get going though, we have to ask ourselves a very important question.
1: You boys aren't nerds, are you?
0: Absolutely. We are a pair of nerds and we're going to recommend some stuff that might be nerdy, might not be. Nick, what do you have to recommend?
1: I am going to recommend whatever it is that you're going to recommend. I'm
0: already disappointed with you so much. Uh, man, I've been so crazy busy lately. Let me see what even I have to potentially recommend to all you wonderful people out there. Oh, you know, I will recommend uh, that is now on Netflix is Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt Season 3. That just hit Netflix. I am a, a f- fan of that show quite a bit. It is fun. It's funny. It's not... You know, it's it's maybe not the funniest show in the world, but it's super enjoyable. I think the cast of characters are uh, are very zany in a really great way. Everyone inter- interacts really well. They kind of explore the relationships a little bit more. Uh, I thought some of the storylines weren't as effective. There wasn't really like a, a cohesive story as there has been in past seasons. It's been, it was a lot more episodic this time, but I still laughed a lot. So, I don't know why I do that a lot with stuff when, I, when I'm like, oh yeah, this show, it's really funny. It's not the funniest thing out there. It's like, why can't I just say, like, it's funny? Go watch it, enjoy it. Anyway, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, season three. Uh, if you haven't watched the first two seasons or you haven't watched them in a while, I actually recommend watching them all again because I ended up watching the first two seasons before. Kind of accidentally and being reminded of how funny the show is in general. It's definitely a show that gets better with each and every watch. So watch season three and then watch season three again. Nick, were you able to find any recommendation? Um
1: I think I already recommended it though. <laughs> Just the episode it out fifty. There. Oh wait, no, maybe I didn't. Uh okay. I am going to recommend a book that I haven't read in a while, but I really liked when I did. It's called Avengers Red Zone. It was an arc during Jeff Johns, unfortunately brief Avengers run. Jeff Johns wrote Avengers? Jeff Johns wrote Avengers. He started with an arc called World Trust, um and uh, this may have been this might be considered the second arc uh, if i remember correctly um this was one of the first introductions to my one of my favorite artists who unfortunately rushes a lot of his artwork now because of scheduling but olivier Coppel, um who actually came around um or be- became noticed on dc's uh, legion books or legion superhero books um like legion lost uh, but anyway he also jumped to i think it's actually probably about the point where he jumped to marvel um and anyway, he did the Red Zone arc with Jeff Johns, and it's a great story. I'm now flipping through it again and getting my goosebumps. Specifically, the thing that always sets me off with this particular arc is that it's good. It's basically about a terrorist attack on Mount Rushmore. Um, like, a, it's basically some sort of like weird red gas thing is like flooding the area and people are getting sick and dying. And um, but the first issue basically starts with the. The human perspective it's, it's a family visiting mount rushmore uh as they notice that like this death clouds coming down the mountain um and then you know they're racing it like it's it's chaos like it's not it's it's more like it's it's really like unfortunate obviously c- compared to like the, some of the absolute terrible stuff that happens in the real world but it's compelling as you're watching this family being torn apart because of this disaster Um, but then obviously the Avengers like medic swoop in and then the Avengers swoop in. And just when I was reading it probably 10 years ago at this point, um, it just kind of hit me in my core. I've actually reread the first issue of this arc several times just because of how it makes me feel. But ultimately the rest of the arc is done really too, as far as how it's, it's really designed as how would the Avengers deal with sort of a real world, In a sense, obviously there's super villain elements to it, but really how would they deal with a real-world terrorist attack? Um, And I have no idea how to deal with a real-world terrorist attack, so I'm certainly not an expert. But I felt like the book did a really good job. And as far as I could tell, did a really good job with handling the characters' personalities and how they would interact. So if you do get a chance, you might want to read the first arc in Jeff Johns' run. But honestly, you could probably start with Avengers Red Zone and not be lost.
0: Wunderbar. Thank you so much. Well, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Of course, you can find out more over at heckyeahcomics.com. You can also send us emails at heckyeahcomics at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Comics. You can find me around the internet on Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, under the username DavLuz. You can find Nick uh, training to be a Foley artist so we can make more noises on this podcast wherever the Foley artists go to school.
1: What's Foley artists?
0: Foley Artistry they're the people who make sound effects for movies
1: I'd be pretty good at that
0: Nah, you'd be terrible Uh, anyway I love Foley Artistry we can talk about it later you can of course find us here next week same heck yeah time same heck yeah channel until then goodbye
1: THE
0: WORST EPISODE EVER